Today we continue our series that we started last week in the Gospel of Mark, Journey with Jesus. I've entitled the message today, Preparation of the Suffering Servant. If you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 9 and we'll read down through verse 20. Mark chapter 1, verse 9 through 20. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I've given maybe a, a, a subtitle to this uh, that you might find a little surprising as we're talking about preparation of the suffering servant. We're actually going to focus on four ways that Jesus brings pleasure to God. As he is preparing to be the suffering servant, we see that he lives a life that brings pleasure to God. And that should be the desire of every one of our hearts. I can't think of a greater thing that we can do as Christians, as a church body, than to bring pleasure to God. We can see acts of people who do acts of faith for God, and it brings pleasure to Him. What brings Him greater pleasure, though, is when an entire church is striving to bring pleasure to God. What brings Him even greater glory is when the whole Universal Church strives to bring pleasure to God. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We do not have the innate ability to bring pleasure to God apart from the work of God in our lives. He is the one who even gives us the desire to want to bring him pleasure. Because the truth of the matter is, if we're all honest, we want to bring pleasure to ourselves. The person we want to please the most is self. God says, if I'm at work in you, my work in you will be manifested that you will want to bring pleasure to me. That's a wonderful thing. 
pleasure to God. Here's how it says it in the Amplified Version. For it is not your strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work, that is strengthening, energizing, and creating in you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. See, if that is our attitude, if we are coming in, it's not, oh, is this, is this sinful? Is this, is this bad or is this good or is God? Am I bringing pleasure to God in the activity that I'm involved in? Is my energy and my focus and my mind and my heart bringing pleasure to God by how I'm conducting my life? We just sang about holiness that the, our friends in our conduct would see holiness. Why? So that we bring pleasure to God in how we live. I'm reminded of the story in Chariots of Fire of two British runners competing in the 24 Olympics. Eric Little, a devout Christian, one of the finest runners in the world. Eric's sister, Jenny, wants him to leave competitive running to join the family on the mission field in China. Jenny feels Eric is putting running ahead of serving God, and she questions his commitment. In one scene, Eric attempts to help his sister see his point of view, and Eric announces with a smile, I've decided I'm going back to China. The missionary service has accepted. Jenny interrupts, oh, Eric, I'm so pleased. Eric continues, but I've got a lot of running to do first. <laughs> Jenny, you've got to understand, I believe that God made me for a purpose for China. He also made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. He was running for the pleasure of God. When we work and we serve and we honor the Lord, we are doing it for the pleasure of God. That should be our motivation he said, to win is to honor him. In the 2016 Boston Marathon, there were 26,639 people who ran. There was a 72-year-old lady named Fran Droz. She finished 26,639th, dead last. The roaring crowds and the official coronations had departed. Workers were tearing down the stands and barricades when she crossed the finish line at 8.45 p.m. But the real story is not her last place finish. It's about who she was running for. Droz has run in more than 75 marathons throughout her life, and she ran the Boston Marathon this year for the Dana... Farber Cancer Institute because her husband is battling his third round of cancer. Her husband met her with a medal at the finish line. He had called the police earlier in the day thinking his wife might have gotten lost or hurt. As one media outlet reported, it turns out this race, this race's loser is quite the winner. She was running for her husband. We as Christians run for the pleasure of God. That should be our motivation. 
And I hope that you will be spurred on to run for the pleasure of God in all that you are doing. I like how one man said it. He said, let us think often that our only business in this life is to please God. So let's look at these four ways that Jesus brings pleasure to God. And we're looking at these because if Jesus brought pleasure to God through these ways, that's how we're going to do it too. So that's why we want to look at them. The first one is at his baptism, his identification with his father. Baptism is identification with God. We had a baptism service here the end of July, and all of them confessed their faith in Jesus Christ and their desire to honor the Lord with their lives, their desire to bring pleasure to God. We do that through that identification with the Father, and Jesus did the same thing. It tells us in verse 9, he was in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. This shows the humility of Jesus. He didn't baptize himself. He went to John. John was the one who was doing the baptizing. And Jesus submitted to John as the forerunner of Christ in his humility in showing that. But there's another aspect I want us to see. As Jesus is coming up out of the water, it says he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Here is a mark by God, a possessing of the Holy Spirit. You see, we identify with the Father by the Spirit of God living in us. It is God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Where does that will come from? It comes from the Spirit of God that indwells us. If the Spirit of God is in me, the Spirit of God wants to bring pleasure to God and wants to honor God. And that's how we do it. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not going to bring pleasure to God because you don't have Him. And the only way we can is to have the Spirit of God in our lives. It's vital. Whenever I fly, I go to the airport and I go up to the counter and I pull out my wallet because I know immediately... Where's your ID? They want a picture ID. Why do they want that picture ID? So to prove that you are who you say you are. They look at your ID. They look at you. Hopefully you look similar and, you know, hopefully you didn't lie about your weight, that you're really not 30 pounds heavier than you put on your driver's license. Um, but the point is they want to validate your identification with what you're carrying. The Holy Spirit, when it descended on Jesus, validated who Jesus was. He was ID'd as the Messiah, the suffering servant who was to come. The Holy Spirit did that. Because it was prophesied in Isaiah that the Spirit of the Lord would be on him. His name is Jesus, the Son of God. He was the one the prophets foretold who would come, prophet, priest, and king, and he would be successful in his mission. Everybody else had failed. A lot of false messiahs in Jesus' time, they all fail. Prophets failed. Jesus was the one who was successful. And here's what he says, this voice also. Not only the Spirit of God, but look in verse 11. A voice came from heaven. 
You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. God said he loves his son. Mark that. Why? Because what Jesus is about to experience in the next few verses would seem to indicate that maybe God doesn't love him. Have you ever questioned the love of God in your life? When you're going through a suffering or a difficulty or a hardship, you're like, where is God in this? Where is his love? Jesus could have very easily questioned the love of God when he was going through temptation, but he didn't because he had the confirmation, the voice of God saying, this is my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. With you, I take pleasure in you. See, we either strive to bring pleasure, pleasure to God or pleasure to ourselves. I like the African proverb on double-mindedness. Here's what it says. The man who tries to walk two roads will split his pants. <laughs> Think about that. You try to walk two roads, you're going to split your pants. Okay? You need one road bringing pleasure to God that's what God desires in our lives pastor Kirby John Caldwell said it this way there are two great moments in a person's life the moment you were born and the moment you realize why you were born Jesus knew why he was born to be the Messiah to be the suffering servant who would give his life for his people to redeem his people from sin. So let's take a moment and ask, what kind of people does God take pleasure in? What kind of people does he take pleasure in? I'm going to give you three. Well, let me... I thought I was going to give you three. Oh, let me give you this first. God takes pleasure in people who are full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. Jesus, in Luke 4, 1, when it talks about Jesus going into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, said he was full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit. In other words, he was controlled by the Spirit of God. Look at this verse here in Romans 8, 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. This is the one that brings pleasure to God when I set my mind on the things of the spirit. It brings life and peace. If you find yourself with worry and chaos, confusion, frustration, maybe you have your mind on the flesh instead of the Spirit. God takes pleasure in people who are controlled by His Spirit. Are you controlled by the Spirit of God in what you are doing? Secondly, God takes pleasure in people who honor Him. People who honor Him. It tells us... Oh, I thought I had this for... Here we go. Hebrews 11.4, By faith... Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel honored the Lord through his faith. 
His faith enabled him to give his best to God. We bring pleasure to God by honoring him, and we honor him when we exercise faith in him. Giving God our best and not the leftovers. God also takes pleasure in people who trust him. People who trust him. It's also found in the next verses in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. By faith, Enoch was taken up so he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having what? Pleased God. He brought pleasure to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's impossible to bring pleasure to God without the Spirit of God, without honoring God, without being full of the Spirit, without trusting him. For whoever would draw near to God must what? Believe. Put your trust in God that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So God takes pleasure in people who trust him. Enoch showed his trust in God. If you go back to Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, if you just want to jot it down, it says Enoch walked with God for 300 years. 300 years. That's how he brought pleasure to God. Full of the Spirit. Honoring God. Don't lean on my own understanding. We are learning... My wife and I are learning how to trust God with our boys 1,500 miles away. Um, What does God want you to trust him for in your life? What do you need to trust God for? You're saying, I'm not real sure. Well, what do you worry about? (laughs) Put down what you worry about, and those will be the things you need to begin to trust God for in your life. And if you don't worry, come to me. I'll give you a few things to worry about. <laughs> um, don't lean on our own understanding. Trust God, his provision and protection. We bring pleasure to God by trusting him. The third way we bring pleasure to God is a determination, or second way, determination to obey his father. Jesus had a determination to obey his Father. Why? He's now going to be sent by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days. He's resolute. He's unwavering. He's resolved. He's single-minded. He's tenacious. He's persistent. He will not be shaken in his identity or his mission. He realizes that the fight against sin is real, not imaginary. You know, there's a lot of people in our world that think the fight against sin is imaginary. It's not. It's very real. And all we have to do is look at the destruction in our society. The destruction of marriage, the destruction of family, the destruction of relationships, the bitterness and turmoil in relationships exist. Why? Because the fight of sin is real. And Jesus recognizes that. The fight against sin is an intense fight, and it is an internal fight. It comes on the inside of each one of us. 
and it does not come with an announcement or a warning. Satan doesn't put up a big flashing neon sign and say, I'm going to tempt you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. He doesn't tell you that. Here, we're told by the narrator, Mark, that Jesus is going to be tempted, but does he really know in his humanity why he's being sent to the wilderness? Probably not in his humanity. So we don't know. And this temptation is going to be continuous day after day after day after day. There are three temptations that are listed in the other Gospels, but don't be mistaken to think that those were the only three temptations in 40 days that Jesus faced. I think that was probably toward the end of the 40 days, and it was intensified trying to get him to fail. It's also symbolic in nature because Moses spent 40 days on the mountain without eating or drinking, and he received the Ten Commandments. Elijah, as well, spent 40 days in isolation, both prophets to deliver God's people out of bondage. The Israelites wandered for 40 years in the wilderness and failed to trust God in their temptation. And he's saying, here's the true Israel who is tempted for 40 days in the wilderness, and he will not fail. Jesus was successful in trusting God in his temptation. We go back to Genesis in the very first Adam in the Garden of Eden, which was perfect. What did the first Adam do? He failed and yielded to temptation. Jesus is called the last Adam. Jesus is in the wilderness. He is tempted. He does not fail. The last Adam is successful. He succeeds as the sinless son of God. The other thing we need to be reminded, while temptation is very, it is varied, there are so many different ways that Satan comes at us. It reminded me of my growing up days watching Batman. It really did. Batman just kind of came into my mind. I don't know why. You're sitting there studying the Bible, and it's like, what, how does Batman show up? I don't know, but he did. And here's what I remember. The Batman faced Joker, the Riddler, Mr. Penguin, Mr. Freeze, Catwoman, Egghead, all these different people he faced who had different powers, so to speak. But Batman also had several weapons to defeat his enemies. He had the batarang. He had the grappling gun, the bat shark repellent, a built-in lie detector that he could read criminals' heart rate and body temperature. He had a Batmobile remote control, utility belt, a taser, a bat bomb, bat cuff, smoke pellets, bat computer. Here's the point. The pull of sin is great in our lives, is it not? The pull of temptation is great. And I want to give us some areas of why it's great so that we can be aware of them. One reason the pull of temptation is so great is because we have a depraved heart. We have a depraved heart. The heart is deceitful, Jeremiah says. It is easily deceived or tricked. We can live in denial that we even have a problem. Talk to an alcoholic. Oh, I, I, I can stop anytime I want. Talk to a drug. I can stop. Talk to a gambler. 
Everybody thinks they can stop and thinks they have control when in reality they're living in deception from their depraved heart and the addiction controls them. You see, the first step out of an addiction, a hurt or a hang-up, is to acknowledge I have a problem. But that's hard to do, to say I have a depraved heart. But that's what we need to do. Because with that depraved heart, the temptation is going to overtake us. Secondly, is a dissatisfied life. You see, if Jesus, when he was going into the wilderness, was dissatisfied in his relationship with his father, he would have fallen to temptation. But he was content. He was satisfied with his heavenly father. A dissatisfied life will allow the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes to be more appealing because those things are never satisfied. There will always be another person more attractive, another house, another business, another vehicle, another milestone to conquer. But if you are content in your relationship with the Father, those temptations lose their appeal. Thirdly, a, dis, a distorted identity. If we get our identity from our family and friends, we have a distorted identity. Our identity is so important when we face temptation. It is vital that we know who we are and whose we are. It's important that we know that. Jesus knew who he was and he knew whose he was. This is my son, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Do we realize that we are sons and daughters of God, that that is my identity? And because of that identity and being full of the Spirit, I want to bring pleasure to God, and I will say no to temptation. Fourthly, as a disobedient act, temptation will grow if we disobey the truth. When I walk away from truth, I begin a walk toward bondage and death. That's what I have to understand. You harbor unforgiveness in your heart and say you're not going to forgive that person. You are walking away from truth and bondage and disobedience and you will yield to temptation. Greater temptation when we walk away from truth. When we say God can't heal this hurt, it is too deep, it is too hurtful, it is too painful, you're believing a lie. God is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals the deepest hurt anyone has. We come back to the truth. It says in Hebrews 5.8, although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And so will you and I. The fifth way that temptation becomes strong is through a disconnected lifestyle. You see, some people think that they will overcome Satan and his minions apart from God's people and apart from God's word. You're wrong. You are falling prey to the enemy when you stay away from the word of God and you stay away from the people of God. You have placed yourself in a very vulnerable position. 
Jesus was alone, but he had the Spirit of God there. There are times, yes, we're going to be alone, but we should strive to be with God's people and in God's Word because that's the way we're going to bring pleasure to God. Jesus brought pleasure to God through the temptation because he walked with God through it. He did not abandon him. Look here at this verse. Romans 8, 12, and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do I put to death the temptation that comes into my life by the Spirit of God? And the Spirit of God works through the Word of God and the people of God. And that's why I never separate myself from those places. I have to take in the Word of God. I have to be with the people of God so that I can bring pleasure to God. And the temptation will become not as strong. The purpose of temptation in Jesus' life was to demonstrate the sinlessness of God's Son through complete obedience to the will of God. What is the purpose of temptation in our lives? Because it's not to prove our sinlessness. The purpose of temptation in our lives is to bring us to spiritual maturity, and it is done through determination and perseverance. Hence, Daniel chapter 1, who resolved in his heart not to defile himself with the king's wine and the king's meat. He resolved. Well, let me get these last two quickly. The third way that Jesus sought to bring pleasure to God was the proclamation about his Father. We see this. Look down in verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. When we proclaim the gospel, we bring pleasure to God. 3 John 4 says, I have no greater joy than to see what? My children walk in truth. When we give the truth to people and they begin to walk in truth and we proclaim the Father, it brings joy to the heart of God like nothing else. Like nothing else. I'm reminded of a university professor who stood up for his faith at age 26 Ken Elzinga joined the faculty at the University of Virginia. And after a tenured colleague warned him that being explicit about his faith would hinder his career, Elzinga was stunned to see a flyer with his face on it placed at a prominent campus location. A campus ministry had posted it to advertise a talk he had agreed to give. A relatively new believer Elzinga worried, would fellow professors think less of him? Might this harm his tenure chances? He experienced a dark night of the soul. He returned to campus and secretly took the poster down. But the next morning, Elzinga put the poster back up. 
After hours of soul-searching, he concluded that his life was not about career ambition, but about faithful discipleship, and that being private about his faith was not an option. In the four decades since, Elzinga has been named Professor of the Year multiple times and is still a speaker in high demand. He will be the first to say that serving only one master has been liberating because pleasing an audience of one makes us less anxious, less sensitive to criticism, and more courageous. That's what God has called us to do. The fourth way that Jesus brought pleasure to the Father was the invitation to join his Father. He invited other people to join him on the mission to be with God's people, to begin to show that he was going to form a people called the church. (laughs) And he invited disciples, men, to follow him. And that's one of the greatest things you and I can do is invite others to follow Jesus. And not just follow him. When it says to follow him, it means to obey him. It means to imitate him, to become like him. Why? So we can bring pleasure to the Father. Pleasure to the Father. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. I would just ask you in the quietness of this moment, Where is your heart? Where is your attitude and your desire in bringing pleasure to God? And how do you do that? Are you identifying with the Father? Maybe remember back to that time that you were dunked in the water, or however you were baptized. And where you identified with the Father, you took a stand to give a testimony to identify with the Father. How has your life been since your baptism? Is it true? Are you, is the spirit of, are you full of the Spirit of God? Are you controlled by the Spirit of God? Are you setting your mind on the things of God? God takes pleasure in people who are full of his spirit, people who honor him and trust him. Do you have a determination to obey the Father, to bring pleasure to him? Because that's what brings him great pleasure. I know as a little boy, when I obeyed my dad, it brought joy to his heart, but when I disobeyed dad, there was no more smile. There was disappointment. Are you bringing joy and pleasure to the heart of God, or are you a disappointment in how you are living? Do you have a determination to obey the Lord? Are you proclaiming the good news about the Father, that He is the ruler? of the universe, that he has sent his only son 
to die on the cross to deliver us from our sin because it was the only way for us to be redeemed. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning as your personal Savior, you cannot save yourself. You cannot deliver yourself from sin. You have to come to the foot of the cross and embrace the bloody Jesus who died a wicked, cruel death because of the cost of sin that you and I could be reconciled to a holy God. That's how much he loves us. If you haven't given him your life, I trust that you will listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit who would be speaking to you and drawing you to himself. An invitation to join his Father. Would you accept it? Let's bow If you'd like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, .org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.